Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch, and on today's show, we have Shally and Stephanie Steckerl from the Sourcing Institute. The Sourcing Institute is a company that provides sourcing and talent uh, recruiting to Fortune 500 companies. And today's show is going to talk about uh, some seismic shifts in the way companies source talent, which of course is of perennial interest to our CEO listeners. So welcome to the show, Shally and Stephanie. Thank you. Thank it's you. good to be here. Tell us, Shally, about some of these uh, seismic shifts and the trends that you're seeing happening in uh, the market for talent from your perspective. Okay. So there's a lot going on under the surface that's not visible to the, the common observer that's just looking at, you know, the news. For example, you see in the news, Microsoft acquires LinkedIn and Randstad acquires Monster, uh, Monster being a, a brand that's been around for much longer in, in our industry. From the surface, it looks like, oh, there's a lot of consolidation and there's a lot of acquisition going on. But deep down underneath that, there's also an opposite trend that is the disintermediation of our industry. And you have a lot of products that are getting funding and attention and a lot of products that are getting funded that probably shouldn't be getting funded up to the you know 10 to 12, even 20, $25 million worth. And these products are... Uh, one-trick ponies. They only do one thing. And the, the, the movement is we want an app that does something really well, and it does just that. So on, on the surface, visible to the public, you have companies like Microsoft and Oracle buying up all these HR technologies. And then underneath that, you have these small companies that are popping up that do specialized parts of the process. At so the same time... Let's, let's kind of tease this out a little bit. Um, CEOs are really smart, but let's break down this big word here, disintermediation. Specifically, what do you mean when you say that? So what we're seeing is that candidates, the, the talent, the people that are uh, looking to move forward with their career are have burned out on what is very frequently referred to as the HR black hole. That is the, the lack of response from uh, corporate employment departments due to, in part, this technology that was put in place. You used to have to walk in in person and there was human contact. You would fill out an application. People were respectful of the time that took and would send you a letter. Then software came in and now you have to go through this 45 minute to hour long, uh, you know, application process that is very inhuman and awkward in many cases. And then you never hear from anybody. And so companies put in automated response systems and even processes that say, you know, let's send people a rejection letter that says, thanks, but no thanks. Right now, we don't have anything. We'll keep you in mind. And that became very inhuman. At the same time, you also saw companies that never did that very well. And so the candidate never even got us, not, not even a thanks, but no thanks. So the response to that has been candidates looking for the, the applicants, looking for ways into the company that don't involve going through the proper channel. So is this applicable also to the middle market, which are companies that are a little smaller? So I could imagine like, you know, Fortune 5s, 
getting deluged with hundreds of applicants for a position. But that may, may not necessarily be the case for medium-sized companies, which are typically the folks who, are focus, who we focus on at CEO Exclusive. Even medium-sized companies will have problems with, if they post a job, and, and there are a lot of medium-sized company solutions out there, CareerBuilder and Monster, as well as LinkedIn, advertise, you know, post your job for $200. So medium-sized businesses will still advertise a job in the traditional recruiting format, and they will still get applicants. It may not be hundreds of thousands, but they're going to get a lot of applicants. And it's even worse. The problem is compounded because the medium-sized companies don't have the infrastructure there to handle a high volume of applicants. So if you post a job and you get 200 respondents, you might not think 200 is a lot. But have you tried to respond to 200 emails in 24 hours? Obviously, that, that, it, it, it's crazy. Right. So it still applies. Now, with small businesses, it might be a little bit different. But with mid-sized companies, you're going to have two opposites. You're going to have a job you post where you get overwhelmed with responses. Many of them may not even be appropriate to the job. And also, at the same time, you'll have job postings or advertisings for openings that get zero response Mm -hmm. whatsoever. What we do, what we teach, solves both of those problems. Mm -hmm. Which is what? Let's be solution-oriented here. What are your recommendations? Yeah. So we see... At the Sourcing Institute, at TSI, we see sourcing or talent sourcing as the response or the answer to what's wrong, what's broken with recruiting. And that is, rather than advertising a job broadly and indiscriminately, in other words, posting it everywhere, as many places as you can, or having it posted on Monster and LinkedIn, and it's visible to everyone and anyone, that then creates a lot of applicants that may or may not be a fit. Instead of doing that, we focus on teaching recruiters and employers, even mid-market CEOs, that they should go after just the people that they want to talk to and invite them into the process. So being very selective about who we approach rather than saying, hey, it's a cattle call. Anyone and everyone can apply because if you're overwhelmed with those responses, you're better off just, for example, going to a small community. You know you want to hire a radio host. Well, you go to a job board that's specific to radio hosts, or you go to a community where radio hosts talk about their issues, rather than posting it to a destination where everybody who's never even heard of radio hosting is going to apply for the job. Mm -hmm. So basically, employers will turn from gatherers into hunters. Correct. Into um, a more friendly form of hunting, because we're not out there, um, you know, taking people out or anything like that. But we are inviting them. So we can invite a select few. And of those people that we invite, many of them won't be interested and won't apply. But we are initiating that. We're saying, hey, based on what I see of your online presence, it looks like you're someone who may be potentially interested. And before you jump on me and say, hey, but Shally, a lot of people aren't online. What about those people? That's okay. We also invite those people to invite people that are not online. So if I send you a message, my message is going to say, I'd like to talk to you about a potential opportunity. And if it's not a fit for you, maybe you know somebody else. So good people will refer good people. How is that different from what your traditional headhunter does? That's interesting that you ask that because it's not. It's what we used to do <laughs> before the technology came in and recruiters became lazy and started just using the robots instead of you know, doing what we used to do, which was exactly that. So the, you know, what's old is new again. We now have technology that helps us do that old-fashioned process in a much more efficient way, but we have to teach recruiters how to relearn that process and do it with this technology so we can do it faster, less expensively, 
at reducing costs and more efficiently with this new technology than we could ever before. But we have to revitalize those old skills of human relationships, of engagement, of logical leaps, making connections between pieces of data that may not look like they're related at the surface so that I can put together by looking at components of someone's online profile that they do this job or something like this job without having to see a full resume that says, here are my credentials. I have done the job that you want me to do. And here's all the evidence. We're now looking at people that may not necessarily fit the mold exactly. We're looking for macro commonalities, not micro commonalities. Mm -hmm. And you've been in the business with your, your wife, Stephanie, who's also here in the studio for a while. Stephanie, would you like to weigh in on this, like, you know, everything old is new again and the, the how like headhunters are now having to go back to some of the old techniques they used to use? Geez, I, I don't actually really know what to, uh, to contribute to that. But, uh, but yes, I've been, I've been uh, helping Shally for many, many years. Uh, and he is by far the better speaker of the two of us. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Shally is, is definitely, uh, he's a recruiter uh, dream, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but yeah, go ahead. But Stephanie, when, when we started this together in, before the turn of the millennium, I think um, they, they hadn't even put fresh batteries on the internet yet back then. When we started this, don't you remember that things were, were different? Yes, 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 definitely. Um, I think uh, probably, you know, let's say 1999, I mean, yeah, 15 years ago, I'd say recruiters were probably using the phone much more. Um, and then probably now they're using the internet more. Um, they're, you know, using more of these like LinkedIn in, in mails you know, reaching out to people via, via email, you know, now there's social media. Uh, so, you know, I mean, social media 15 years ago was not, uh, that big a deal, but now, now it's, uh, definitely much, much bigger deal, um, you know, for individuals and for big companies. So Shally, Stephanie just mentioned that people are using the phone a lot more. And it sounds to me like the techniques that you're uh, talking about in terms of solutions yep. take up a lot of time. Um, and even though talent sourcing uh, is, is one of the biggest concerns that CEOs have, is making sure that the right people are on the bus, how do, they, how do you deal with, the, with the, the time factor? You don't. It takes a lot of time to process 200 applicants or 1,000 applicants. It takes a lot of time to... Uh, using the old-fashioned, you know, model that existed before where you were talking to people was, was still, you know, slow. So technology promised us that it would be more efficient. And what ended up happening is with that technology, we really just removed the human component. But even with that, it didn't save us a lot of time. So, for example, now you open a requisition, you advertise it, you get 10,000 applicants or 200 applicants. The recruiter then has to go through those they make some selections, they present those candidates with an opportunity, which takes time. They then package the candidates up into a you know, document with notes and everything, send them to the hiring manager. The hiring manager then has to review those and reject a bunch more, which then creates more work for the recruiter. So you end up with a hiring manager spending a lot more time looking at more resumes, a recruiter spending a lot more time looking at more resumes. So it really isn't a factor of time. Sourcing is actually faster. One of the things I was very impressed with and 
kind of reviewing your profile is that you have a tremendous number of followers, right? You, I think over a hundred thousand when I checked a couple days ago. On LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. 102,000 or something like that. Yeah. That's tremendous number of followers. So how do you deal with this, this huge volume of, of data and what's the process that you follow to, to apply the principles that you just described, which is being like narrow and deep rather than just, you know, uh, broaden and uh, and unfocused? Well, I do actually leverage quite a bit of technology. There are some applications and some solutions that I use that I buy, I pay for, that actually help me do some of the, the, the heavy lifting in that process. For example, when it comes to staying abreast of uh, articles and news, I have systems in place that will alert me when articles have reached a certain critical mass. And that's the ones that I'll read. And occasionally I also have a few sources that I go to where they're less popular, but they are typically the breaking news kind of sources. So I've, I've kind of covered both ends of that. And there's a lot of other automation tools out there. For example, on a mobile phone app, you have easily do, and that's an app that consolidates all of your alerts. So if I'm flying somewhere in the morning, it pops up and says, you have a flight today. If, uh, if it's raining, it pops up and says, you know, don't forget your umbrella, those kinds of things. So there's some technology that's out there that helps us uh, automate, but it's a tool that helps us automate, not a tool that does the job for us. And that's mm-hmm. the key differentiator. Unfortunately, on the recruiting side, uh, recruiters have grown to depend on these tools doing the job for them, which isn't the same thing. W- one is assist me to do my job better. Another is I don't want to do my job, you do it for me. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify, though, in terms of this you know, database of people that you have, are you advocating or do you kind of the way that you manage your, um, your sourcing process, do you use automated tools to then go in and specifically identify the people that you want to pluck out um, for a specific search? Is that kind of the methodology that you use? I found that through 20 years of doing this, it, it, it's because of the amount of information that's out there, it's actually more challenging to automate the search component. Mm. The automation that I found to be most effective and what we teach isn't the search side of the automation, it's everything else, it's the workflow side. So I will still manually conduct searches, I will use tools that magnify those searches. So rather than, for example, going to one place and searching just that one website, I have tools that allow me to search multiple websites, but I'm still doing the search manually. I'm just doing it on multiple websites at the same time rather than just one, like a Google custom search, for example. And there are some applications out there that allow us to to do multiple website search, what's called federated search. But I'm still doing the searches manually. I'm not letting a robot do that for me. However, when I pull up someone's page, like your LinkedIn profile, I have an application, several applications, that when that page loads up, shows a bar on the right-hand side that then digs into that particular person's social footprint and brings back email addresses, phone numbers, their Twitter, Facebook, so I can form a picture of what they do, who they are. That way, if I have incomplete information, say, for example, from a Twitter profile, which is only a very short bio, I can then extrapolate from their Facebook and LinkedIn and other places, maybe a blog. I can extrapolate the remainder so that I can form a picture of what it is that they do. Mm. Then I'm better informed. That's a robot. That's a machine that does that. I could manually do that but I would have to go to a dozen different websites and manually search. 
Instead, this tool does that for me. So that's the kind of automation that I'm talking about. Right. So you'll find out if I was um, drinking in the middle of the day on a Tuesday from my Facebook page at the same time as posting this awesome blog on LinkedIn. I'm sorry, what's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. So, Yuni, can you pass me the gin, please? (laughs) Um, To answer the uh, the unspoken question there, yeah, I might find a lot of information out about you, but my focus as a recruiter is to identify if you have the skills that are required to do this job. So anything that's not relevant to that, I'm professionally trained to ignore and not look at. If I do look at anything that has nothing to do with your skills, I am at risk of basically adverse action. In other words, if I look at, it doesn't matter if you're drinking or not, it could be your skin color, it could be something that you're wearing around your neck, it could be your size or shape, or how many limbs you have. All of these are things that I have to overlook because I'm looking for your skills, nothing else. Mm. It's great. Okay, so we're closing out the first segment where we talk about trends and the key takeaways that I heard from you, Shally, are we have to focus on the, the candidate experience and focus on looking for candidates that fit the profile rather than casting a broad net. Yes, I think that is the essence. Sourcing talent or finding people is a discrete capital investment and a sustainable advantage. The alternative, which is what we're doing now, is not sustainable, it's expensive. It's costly in ways other than money, time, and efficiency. And quite frankly, it hurts your employer brand and your consumer brand as well. Sourcing is, in many ways, the answer to what has gotten us to the point where CEOs are afraid of recruiting. Thank you very much. So in the second segment, we always talk about the relationship between our guests. And you've been in business with your, with your wife for a long time. And that's, that's often quite daunting. Uh, so tell us about how you came to start this business together. And, uh, you know, when we were talking about who you wanted to bring on the show, you were like, I want Stephanie. And uh, I think you guys even um, jumped through some hoops to make sure that Stephanie could be here with you this morning. So tell us a little bit about like how you work together and and, uh, you know, being a husband and wife team and in a business together. How did we start this thing? (laughs) Oh, boy, my goodness. Uh, It was 1998 or something like that. Yeah, I think I might have said something like I hate my job. Right, right. Yes. And uh, you were working, let's see, you were working. I was working at a staffing firm and I had, I just quit. I just had an off and I quit. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think you reminded me that I was unemployable at that point. (laughs) (laughs) So how is it working with your husband, Stephanie? Um, well, it's, uh, definitely, it's definitely a challenge, um, at times. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a great guy. I mean, we have two kids together. Um, my focus has changed a bit, you know, since I, since we had the two kids. Um, so I'm more focused on, uh, taking care of the, the kids. Um, but I do support him with the business as much as I can, Um, When we initially started, uh, it was pretty much just him and I, and Mm -hmm. I was helping him with all of the kind of back-end business-related things, Um, things like the bookkeeping, um, the invoicing, working with customers, um, sometimes some sourcing projects, uh, uh, just kind of the day-to-day things that have to happen. And he's 
he's always been very, very good with the speaking. Um, so he's an excellent speaker. I can tell. Um, yes, he, he does a lot of speaking. Yes. Um, That's how I got her. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you pick her out of the audience? I picked her out of a room full of uh, dancing divas. And um, approached her, and she kept thinking I was trying to hit. She's on her rolling friend. her eyes. She said she <laughs> yeah. thought you thought he was trying to hit on your friend. Yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and I just wouldn't take no for an answer. Is that's, that right? That's true. He would not. No. Nope. I closed the deal. He would, he would not. Good. Take a closer. No. I love it. He's a he's a total closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephanie's being really, really modest. Um, it really, she she gets the credit for a lot of it. For early on in the business, the first version of our business. It was, um, for me, it was just an idea. It was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? And she was the one that said, just do it. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have done it, mm. right? And it, it's very difficult to be an entrepreneur and have a spouse that wants you to go to jo- get a job and, you know, be straight. It, it, it's, it, it's much easier when you have someone that says, let's just do it. Let's roll the dice. Let's take a risk. So not only did she do that, but she... She was also part of the business. Quite frankly, um, she was the boss. She managed me. Um, I, I like to refer to I her. Can tell she's the, I can tell that she's the quiet but deadly kind. She is. That's right. Uh, she, she's the handler. I'm the wild animal and she's the handler. So back then, um, you know, she was the one that would, would set up a lot of the business and I would go out and, you know, basically do the delivery of either training and things like that. So she's not taking enough credit for that first part of it. The second part, our, our first business uh, went down from the, the 9-11 mm-hmm. um, economic downturn. And there was a long story behind that. But we survived that together. And um, there's another thing that she doesn't take credit for, which is that we had an opportunity after that first business collapsed, throw in the towel and, uh, and declare bankruptcy and just quit and not pay our bills. But she stood behind uh, our, our, both of our principles where we said, no, the right thing to do is to pay our bills. So we paid our bills despite the fact that, you know, we were living off of mac and cheese every couple of days. Um, and so she stood behind that, too. And that's an unspoken story. That's something that, you know, with, if hadn't it been for that, the second business wouldn't even exist. We survived that. We could have just taken the easy road and, you know, told our our vendors that we just weren't going to pay because everybody else did that and we didn't. And so that helped us start a business again the second time, which we then sold. And then this third time around, um, once again, she was the encouragement. I mean, the third time around, I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm tired. I've been doing this for what, 15 years now. I don't know if I've got another one, you know, in me. And she said, there's, you have no choice. You have to do it. It's now or never. If we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. So this third company now again is because of her. Mm. She says she's not that involved and that's true because we're, we're busy and there's a lot of, you have to divide things up. But four years ago, had she not pulled the trigger on that, this company wouldn't exist. Mm. So Stephanie, tell what is that like to, to go through the ups and downs and and the cycle of the successes and the losses and the failures and and all that as and still be supportive because I'll tell you sometimes the family isn't always supportive, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. sometimes the family is not always supportive. Right. Yeah. I mean that is that is the challenge of you know what do you do when you fail? Um, you know I I believe you should pick yourself up and keep on trying. 
Um, and that's, and that's what we've done. And it's been, it's definitely been a challenge. I mean, there have been some times where, you know, we talk to other, other people that have, you know, typical, you know, nine to five jobs and they're like, I can't believe you do this. And it's, it is a real challenge, especially when you have young children. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why she's not as involved these days, but Mm -hmm. still keeps a finger in, in, in the business. And how do you stay out of conflict with each other? Because a lot of times when things get difficult, either you can take it, you can take it out on the people that are closest to you. How do you stay out of that trap? Who said we did? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry, I just made that assumption. <laughs> um, well, when, with the first, the first company... You both are smiling and act like you like each other, so I figured... <laughs> it's all pretend. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's, it, it, there is always going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict in business as well as, as at home. The first business, the, the conflict was much easier to handle because it was about really strictly about the business the second time around when we were selling it, there were other parties involved that, were, that weren't us. So when it was just the two of us running the business, things were a lot easier. We could separate them. And in the second time around, when there were other parts of, uh, of, of the business in play when we were selling it to another, um, ent- another entity, it got a little bit more complicated because now um, unscrupulous entities have a tendency to try to play people off of each other. So they, they did regrettably some things to try to drive us apart. Now we survived that and still, you know, got through that, but it was that that was more challenging because it wasn't just us. And this time around, the conflict that that we have usually revolves around the bigger decisions around finance and taxes and those kinds of things, which, you know, it 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 happens in in every relationship, but with us we have the added complexity of there's this business attached to that. The way we we typically handle it is we try to talk it out as much as we can. And sometimes we just hit the pause button and go, you know what? We're not going to solve the tax problem today. Let's just have a nice weekend and go back to family time. We can't argue about taxes all night long and do it. You know, the tax, tax accountant's already gone to bed. So let's do that too. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of put a pin on it. Yeah. So other than that, what are the recommendations do you have for dealing with the conflict? Because I mean, certainly not only, you know, between spouses, but even between business partners or CEOs dealing with the people that their first line management. How do you how what are some other recommendations do you have that you have for dealing with conflict? Well, what I found is that um, very often people in leadership positions make the mistake of hiring someone or bringing someone into the organization because of that person's unique skills, unique abilities, their, their gifts, whatever it is that they bring to the table, and then telling them what to do, which I think is a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to bring somebody in, if you, if you go out and you find someone that you're going to trust with a particular part of your job, that's their job to do it. You have to just let them do it. Now, one thing is, you know, overwatch, right? Supervisory overwatch, but don't tell them how to do their job because that's why you hired them. If you're going to tell someone how to do their job, Hire someone that you're going to train from scratch, not someone that's already got the experience. And a lot of conflict comes from that. You bring somebody in who's an expert, then you tell them how to do their job. And of course, that's not how they're used to doing their job. And they're the expert. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like going to the doctor and telling the doctor what you want to be prescribed. That's funny. That's great. 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 And so as you look forward to kind of what's next in the Sourcing Institute, what are you looking forward to? And what's your, what's your strategy for, for growth? Well, we have some conversations around potentially taking on a um, uh, equity 
mm. investor. We have some conversations around a um, merger with uh, one of the other businesses that we have that is a little bit more cash positive, but less stable. So both of those conversations are in place right now. We're not really sure which way we're going to go. But then we also have paid a lot of attention to the foundation. And uh, I think that the answer may be a combination of all of the above. We might take on some investment, merge the two companies, and bring the foundation into the fold as well. So let's back up and tell listeners what the, fa- the, the, fa- the foundation is. The Sourcing Institute Foundation, or sourcingfoundation.org, is a 501c3 private operating foundation. And the mission for that initiative is to aid in our economic development by creating jobs. It's a job creation. Oh, I love jobs. Organization. Yes, so do we. Keeps us in business. And so what we do is we provide scholarships, grants, education, and, and other means to people in displaced situations or disadvantaged situations. For example, uh, military veterans returning from service, mm-hmm. active military spouses. By the way, just as a side note, active military spouses have an unemployment rate of 25%. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about men and women that are spouses that have higher education and are very good at some professional field that simply can't find a job because it's hard to keep a job if you're going to be moving in two years. Mm-hmm. And then there's also people with disabilities, like, for example, visually impaired, blind, hearing impaired, deaf, and other communities like that that are really, really disadvantaged when it comes to employment, uh, mostly because of, uh, you know, the employer's ignorance. Employers think that if you're blind, you can't do the job. And we've, we've proven otherwise through the foundation. So we give them the means and train them and, and show them how to do the job of recruiting we bring them into organizations as recruiters, and then we've created a job. Not just have we created a job for someone that didn't have a job before, but we've also reduced the dependence on government subsidies for those people because now, rather than living off the government, they're living off of their own means, which is much better for them. You know, They feel better about it, but it also doesn't take money out of the system for others that have a higher need. Great. Well, that's awesome. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you to find out more about um, the Sourcing Institute, you mentioned the foundation, but if they want to find out more about the Sourcing Institute, how do they do that? TheSourcingInstitute.com or I'm Shally, S-H-A-L-L-Y on Twitter. And um, you can go to about.me, Shally.Steckerl, about.me slash Shally.Steckerl, and you'll find the foundation, LinkedIn, Facebook, everything else. Um, I'm, I'm not hiding. I'm, I'm easy to find. Yeah, I don't know how many... Steckerels that are out there that have the first name Shally. I know there's a lot of Shallies. I Googled that recently and I found on LinkedIn a couple of hundred people that have um, the name Shally. What's even scarier is they also have the last name Steckerel. I don't know how that happened, but um, you, can, you can probably find me through the About Me page. That's probably the most accurate way because everything is listed there. Wonderful. Thank you everyone for listening to CEO Exclusive today. On today's show, we had Shally and Stephanie Steckerel of the Sourcing Institute and talked about Trends in Talent Acquisition and Talent Sourcing. Thanks again, and see you next week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.